Welcome back to another episode of Anthology Podcast. We are coming back to do a review of the third and final book in the Lycanius trilogy, The Light of All That Falls. I am joined with Stephen and Ryan. We have heard from both of them before, and I am Josh. Okay, so let us do a quick Goodreads summary of The Light of All That Falls. This will be um, very, very light spoilers. Just the Goodreads summary. It says, The Light of All That Falls concludes the epic adventure, adventure that began in the shadow of what was lost, the acclaimed fantasy blockbuster from James Islington. The boundary is whole once again, but it may be too late. Banes now stalk Andara, and while Elena Lan, the political machinations of a generation come to a head as words newfound ability forces his family's old enemies into action. Imprisoned and alone in a strange land, Davian is pitted against the remaining venerate as they work tirelessly to undo Asha's sacrifice, even as he struggles to deal with what he has learned about the friend he chose to set free. And Caden, now facing the consequences of his centuries-old plan, must finally confront its reality, heartbroken at how it began and devastated by how it must end. Okay. Also, some uh, some good things to know is that it has a 4.49 rating on Goodreads. Goodreads just fell below 4.5, but it only has 1,362 ratings and 142 reviews. Stephen, I believe you have something to say about this rating? Yeah, fake news from Goodreads. So I, I believe this to be a case of early reader bias where the the early results that are coming in early ballots if you will are from big fans of the series and so obviously they're going to read first and like it the most um we can get into this more but i'm gonna just tell you up front i was not a huge fan of the last book in the series and i expect that number to go down okay all right a good hot take to start us with so we'll jump in and do just our typical content rating by now you should be pretty aware of what's in this book series. Um, there is there is some violence. It doesn't necessarily shy away from that. However, I would not classify this as grimdark. There's nothing more in this book than what's been in other books. Um, there's no real swears or no real uh, sex or other content. Wheel of Time level stuff, right? Like, I think that series set a pretty good benchmark for what you see in a lot of epic fantasy. So pretty, you know, TV 14-ish. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, and again, if you've read the first two, you're not going to see anything in here that is going to shock you. Uh, so it's pretty light. I think that this could, um, that readers of most ages that are able to get through the book are probably okay to read it. I mean, that's a value judgment that parents can make, but it's pretty, pretty light on most content. Okay. Uh, Ryan, do you want to give us a maybe a bit more context of how this book is starting um, kind of where book things from book two left off. Yeah. So if you'll remember at the end of book two, Davian is stuck behind the Ilshara with Fessy. Fessy just disappeared. Um, I guess they're, they're trapped in a city. Ilshan Gath Delteth, I believe it's called. She finds an opportunity to escape. So she leaves Davian behind Davian runs, finds Caden currently being tortured by um, a member of the Venerate. And it's Mel Meldier, right? Meldier, yes. Meldier is correct. And Davian tells him to set, or Caden tells Davian to set him free by chopping off, of, chopping off his head, 
which Davian does, which sets Caden free. Weir, on the other hand, is on the other side of the Elshara. They were just attacked by the those drone-like, uh, I, I'm blanking on the name, those drone-like warrior creatures that were attacking. And him, Caroline, and what's that girl's name? Ishelle? Ishelle. Ishelle are the only survivors. And they find out that those those creatures kind of infect humans. And if the bodies aren't burned, they will turn into, into the drone-like creatures. Kind of like a zombie type thing or vampire. I don't know. Uh, what am I missing? So they're the Elatai. That's the name Elatai. of them. The Elatai. Elatai. Got it. I, um, I believe the only thing that you're really missing was where Asha left off. Uh, she was can have had just sacrificed herself to um, right. provide her life right. force to kind of maintain the boundary and enter in. Uh, yeah. yeah. She has the uh, tributaries are attached or she climbs into a tributary and she has the um, all of the power of the shadows as well as the lith. And she is using that power to reinforce the Ilshara. And then the book ends with Caden waking up back at the wells and he just has a vision reminding him that he killed Davian oh back maybe what 50 years ago or so kind of back when he got set on the path to realizing that Shemeloth was really L in disguise and all that so uh so he realizes that he was the one that killed Davian and then this is going to really kind of play into the plot of I actually think it was thousands of years or a thousand years in the past because it was right after after Davy and his archive of aid storms into that uh, the city with the Dorisians and the Dorisians try and activate their uh, their weapon to travel through time and it kind of fails and that's how they're turned into the lith and then as as after after Caden helps save or transports them to the area where they'll be safe. He comes back out and Davian's there and accuses him of all of these awful things, chops off Davian's head and mounts it on a pike. Could be true. So somewhere between 50 and thousands of years. <laughs> the timeline yeah. is really convoluted. And so, um, and so that kind of gets into what I think might be one of the weaker things of this. And this is still kind of generally no spoilers is that there's a lot of uh, grand timelines going on here but you don't really know if something was 50 years ago or a thousand years ago. And I mean, I'm sure people do, but as a kind of casual reader that doesn't like study this out, it's kind of hard to keep track of. It, it is sometimes a little bit hard just with so many different periods of time and flashbacks to keep them straight. Yeah. I would say in comparison to, I mean, we compare to Sanderson a lot, but he's such a great comparison benchmark. He does a really great job of in his series is providing enough detail where a really um, a reader who is really into all the details and into the Cosmere and all those things would really get behind all these details and love all these new things. But then a casual reader could also just kind of gloss over some of the details, but still get all the main pieces of the story. But I feel like maybe not the case as much here, because if you're not picking up on how the timeline is coming together exactly right, then you're some things are just not quite going to make sense. And you're just going to be kind of accepting things that are happening. Um, I, I don't know exactly how the Lycanius trilogy could have improved in this because it's obviously a really tricky thing to do. But I feel like maybe some more hints or clues or more surface level things to try to allow for 
a really in-depth timeline and also a timeline that allows for um, a, more, a more casual reader to be fine with. So I want to read, I, I read a few reviews in preparation for this and there's this review by Kirkus Review. It's one of the first ones that pop up, but uh, it says, what with the unflagging pace, so many moving parts and so much intricate, lavish and sometimes intimidating detail, it's not impossible to ascertain whether it all adds up. What matters is the author's unshakable conviction that it does, a conviction that eventually we come to share if only by osmos. And I think that's a good, you know, I kind of take it by faith that if I were to go study all these things, piece it all together, that would make more sense than it does. But at the same time, I'm pretty well versed in fantasy and I've read a lot of fantasy series and I still kind of struggle. Yeah, I figure if we are struggling, even in this podcast to piece things together, maybe not the greatest sign, right? It didn't really negatively affect my read through of it, though. I, I think it was it was something that I easily set aside and, and I was able to enjoy the book regardless of that. But do you think that plot essential things like that are things you should just set aside? Like, I feel like I would like as a reader to really understand exactly how all the pieces are coming together. Yeah, I think that's true. I, I guess that there are different levels of depth, which you which people read. You know, there are some people who truly read to understand every little part of the universe, the world the magic system, the politics. And there are some people that just kind of read to kind of have a surface level escape. Don't need to get every little detail nailed down, but just kind of ride along with the author. Okay. So let's go over some quick overall impressions and then we can get into some spoiler talk because I feel like some of these discussions might be a little bit better um, if we can talk about specific spoilers. So I'll start with my overall impression. I thought that this book, I thought it was the weakest of the three, honestly. Um, I was really excited going into it and I wasn't completely disappointed, but I was a little bit let down with, with the, the pacing and kind of something. Uh, let's go with you next, Stephen. Very disappointed. Not as disappointed as, for example, like the Bloodsong trilogy, which just tapered off into nothing by the end of it. But I'm going to say, I mean, this is like a two and a half to three stars out of five for me. Um, I really liked the first two books in the series. I thought it was going... Uh, in, a, in a really strong direction and had a lot of potential for a nice conclusion. But honestly, I thought this book was boring. I thought a lot of the characters were just kind of sitting around doing nothing and chatting. And a lot of the, I think he was trying to hit at some hard themes that, I mean, in, in principle, there are some interesting ideas, but they just never really landed for me because I stopped caring about the story and I stopped caring about the characters. Um, I, yeah, I, it's it's tough to really ascertain exactly where this went wrong, but I just feel like in bits and pieces, the story kind of fell apart for me. Yeah, I, I too loved the first two books. And uh, going into the third book, I was looking forward to a lot and a lot. And I think the author, James Eilington, I, I, I'm pretty sure that is the correct pronunciation, Stephen. I would just like to, to concede defeat from the episode, the second book podcast, where I thought it was Islington. Um, anyways, I think that James Eilington tied up most of the loose ends but not necessarily in a way that I was expecting I just I just didn't have the same feeling of epicness as I was reading this book as in the first two books that being said I did enjoy it probably a bit more than than both of you guys did but it didn't quite live up to what I wanted I think that a good summary of it is that James Eilington is a lot better at asking questions than he is at answering questions in a satisfactory way, um, at least with a lot of 
the conclusions to things that we got, they they didn't they weren't quite as satisfying as I would hope they would be. The more fantasy I've read, the more I realize that it's really hard to close out series. Even in a series like Lightbringer, which we all just read, which I felt was a fairly good ending, still was not necessarily the greatest. We had some issues with it. Um, I can't think of a series that was really closed out in a in a way that I absolutely loved. So um, yeah, I would agree with you, Josh. It, in general, I think it's a lot easier to ask questions than to answer. Okay, well, that might be a good thing that you can tweet at us or comment us as some some series that you think have the best endings. Okay, so let's move on to some spoiler talk. So if you have not read the book, I'm still going to recommend that if you've read the first two that you read this book because I, I well, I didn't think it, well, I think it was the weakest of the three. I still think that you should. Agreed. It's worth knowing what happened. Okay, so let's jump into some spoilers. Let's do a light uh, discussion about the premise of this book because I don't think that things change too much about it. Now, the premise is what you've seen in the previous two books, and um, he does a lot. He does really well in it, in you know wrapping up all the loose ends and explaining what happens. I didn't love what his explanations were, but as far as what the premise was, yeah, it, it you know fulfilled what it was trying to get it after. And I think throughout the the whole series, the the main question of which isn't very subtle is fate versus free will that's sort of what everybody's fighting for the venerate are they're they're performing a lot of good and a lot of evil in the hopes that they can break free of this predestined path into um, a place where they're able to actually make decisions that change course and the third book continues that to try and answer that question. So another part of the premise that I was disappointed in was the conflict between L and here's a little trivia question. What is the name of the kind of evil spirit? Shemaloth. Shemaloth. Perfect. So the, the conflict between L and Shemaloth was just, it. nothing interesting happened with it. Like we kind of got the re- reveal early on in book two that Shemaloth was actually not L and was evil. And then I was kind of hoping that they would do something more interesting with it. Um, there's going to be some spoilers for Mistborn for the next little bit. So you might want to put on mute for a little bit. Mistborn Trilogy 1, I'm assuming. Yeah, Mistborn Trilogy 1. is. I feel like that was really cool with um, kind of how preservation and ruin work together and came and had to combine in order to make the world a, a better place. Uh, Sanderson kind of dealt with those themes in a really interesting way. Whereas I felt like this was like, oh, here's a twist that, the god that uh, that Caden was following all along, or Talcumara was following all along, wasn't actually the real god. And then that's it. That's what we got. Yeah, I completely agree. There was, I felt like there was room for twists, but they never really happened, right? I mean, were there any real twists or or aha moments? I mean, I guess at the end, a little bit, but even with, um, we're doing full spoilers, right? Right. Yeah, full, full spoilers. Yeah. So even with Davian's parentage at the end. And with the reveal that Caden actually morphed into Davian and he was, uh, he was the one who basically killed himself. Um, even with those reveals, I felt like rather than big aha moments, they were more like, oh, okay, that's how it happened, right? Like not huge plot impactful things, more just, oh, okay, this is the wrapping up of the loop. Yeah, like even, even with Caden uh, morphing into Davian, I, you guys had both already finished the book when I was reading it. And I texted you guys oh this is what i think is going to happen and how it's going to happen and it happened hey to be fair you said that at like chapter 49 which was right at the end of the book right yeah it was right then it was when it was when they were uh kind of having the last battle but it wasn't 
it, it was uh, leading up to it, but he hadn't already like left into it. So it was, um, but to your point, it just wasn't that surprising. Like that, that wasn't, it, it was very predictable. The only thing that wasn't necessarily predictable that I, I can think of off the top of my head is uh, Davian's origins. And that's mainly because we weren't really introduced to his parents at all. So there was no way you could predict them um, before this book. But that was a little bit of a surprise, I guess. I'm a little conflicted on that. So I did not like the whole Zavalar thing. I felt like it went on for a long time. There was a lot of just chatting between him and Raylith. And I didn't, I never understood the point of it. So as I was reading, I was like, what is the point of this? What is the point of this? What is the, what is the point of this? And maybe that's bad on me for not, um, you know, not getting into the journey of the thing rather than the ultimate uh, destination. But at the same time, it's like, I, I want to have my questions answered. This is a very long book. So I'd like to ha- see the plot moving forward, but I never got any, any satisfaction from that. So at the end, seeing that those were actually his parents was satisfying but I don't know if it really excuses just the boredom of the whole time that he was there. What do you guys think? I thought Zvalar was boring when he first got there. But after he got to the tower, he, he learned that uh, Talkamar was in Zvalar. I thought that it became a lot more interesting. But I agree that when they were just kind of walk, wandering around looking for metal i was kind of like what's the point of this when's when's this gonna move on yeah i kind of feel like that was a very and i think we were talking about this too but that was not a good thing to put in book three i feel like if that would have been a thing that they went on in book two and that uh that david went to Zavalar in book two somehow and had that journey and maybe that's how he got good at using Khan. that would have been a little bit better but I, I was like why are we spending so many pages and you know such a big chunk of this book in the setting and with characters that we haven't been introduced to before when there's still so much that we do care about and then I feel like because of that you kind of let a lot of side characters and even characters that we do really care about like were and and Asha not get as much screen time as I'd have liked or someone like Caroline get zero <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely zero I was. I thought that I, I wasn't totally sold on the ne- Carol, Caroline was Nethgola theory, but I was. I thought that it would have played out in a different way. The fact that Nethgola was Caroline the whole time, or at least most of the time, I thought that that was kind of another little bit of a letdown. That it just at the end they're like, oh yeah, and Nethgola was Caroline. Yeah, it kind of felt like one of those things where he where more people liked Caroline and his character than he thought were going to. And he, you know, maybe between books, he was like, oh, I need to figure out how I'm getting this character and it's satisfying. And then so he was like, oh, I'll just, I, I don't know. It was weird. It was weird. Honestly, it seems like before finishing book three, he read all of the Reddit threads about the series, made a list of all of the theories and loose ends and issues that people had with the series, and then went through like ticking them all off. Like, okay, got to explain this, got to explain this, got to explain this. Here's all these theories that people have. Got to choose one of them. Like, I don't know. Did you guys feel like that at all? Yeah. Like I said, I, I thought that he did a good job at answering all of, or at answering the questions, but not necessarily a good job at the answers he used for those questions, if that makes sense. Well, which is, again, kind of, kind of sad because sometimes you don't need to answer everything. Sometimes you can leave it kind of open, even if you're not planning on writing another series in the book. Sometimes you can kind of leave it for the reader to interpret some things instead of just giving lame answers. One of the lamer answers was, I think, Fessy. 
you know right so yeah he had, he had the augers see their deaths in the second book was the second or maybe the, even the first book anyway so he set that up and that's that's fine like uh, i like how he set it up and i like that what he had set up actually happened but at the same time i feel like there's room to to twist things around and answer the questions in unexpected ways. So when you have Fessy run off and then someone just tells Davian, oh, Fessy died, and then that's ultimately what happens. There's no, it's totally off camera. She's somewhat of a main side character and she's just gone. I mean, uh, disappointing. The only thing is with Fessy, they kind of used that, they hid the way that she died a little bit to surprise you later with Cassandra kind of using her as one of his proxies. But then Davian kills Fessy within the same scene of actually seeing the Cassandra Fessy proxy. So I, I think something that might be kind of indicative of these questions is I felt like I missed a lot of these answers or I felt like I kind of read it too fast or just missed some things and that's why I didn't enjoy it as much. And then so I kind of went on Reddit to look for some of these answers and it was just that's what they were. Like I already had read everything and understood not everything, but most things that I thought I didn't understand. Like, for example, another one was with the uh, champion in the ring that he went to fight and stabbed himself. We never got like a really good answer to that question. And I was like, oh, I just must have missed that because I was reading it too quick. And no, it's just we didn't really get a great explanation of it. Well, I, I mean, think... I guess that that's an example of one that wasn't actually answered. But yeah, I Ryan think it was, it was it was kind of hinted at um, when when... Weir sees Aelric again at the end he, and they're they're departing. I think Aelric says something to Weir like tell Davian he needs to work on his forms or something like that. And I think that was kind of implying that that somehow Aelric had something to do with that. Oh and and, and where Davian Davian thought that that the that that guy in the arena fought kind of similarly to Aelric and then later we see Aelric controls a suit of armor to destroy that that pillar i think the the theory that i kind of have that other people have as well is that Aelric was somehow controlling that that guy in the arena and and then had him kill himself at the end of the battle but that's something you could easily have missed yeah so that's i mean that makes sense and i like that explanation but was that something that was left purposefully vague or was that something that he just thought people would pick up on? I, I just don't really understand why a character that we literally know nothing about, you have to kind of have a whole theory ex explaining death. What did you guys think about Aelric and Dizia's little side adventure that was never explained and then they came in at the end and kind of saved the day with whatever alliance they'd formed with Ness? I know that uh, Eilington said that he actually wants to write another story about their whole adventure and the reason why he didn't include that in this book was just because of length. But I don't know. I, I felt like it could have been hinted at a, a little more. And honestly, I never really got the point of the characters in the first place. But I think that if if he was planning of on writing and expounding their story, I think he probably should have done it before book three, maybe kind of as like a book 2.5 type thing to, to get people ready where he he kind of carries their story a little bit and then once once you start book three you, you know basically what has happened to elric and Dizia. i like that suggestion like a novella kind of like edge dancer in between uh stormlights two and three yeah exactly as it was it was just totally a little 
Deus, how, how, how do you say that? Do ex machina. Yeah. Deus ex machina. Yeah. Like it, it was just, Oh, he, we're is screwed. Like he's going to die. Oh, wait, no, no, no. Of course he didn't. He's okay. But I mean, he, I, I feel like with how, with how Islington killed off character. So matter of factly, it wouldn't have really been that much of a surprise if Weir had died at that point. But I think it would have risen the stakes. Like as it, as it was, I didn't actually think that, Davian was going to march to his death, even though we saw him marching to his death because there were so many, like our core three characters or four characters, if you count Caden, just like never had major thing, terrible, terrible things happen to him. Like I never believed any of them were going to die. Yeah. Main characters never in danger. Side characters killed off camera indiscriminately. (laughs) That's I guess the formula. I mean, I'm fine with the main characters not having bad things happening to them. That's kind of, that was the level of his his writing a little bit, right? Like it wasn't a song of ice and fire, or or anything more grim dark. But there, you can still have a, a sense of raised stakes, and I never really got the, really that all that much at at risk of going wrong. Yeah, and I think that kind of led to being a little bit like when people when people did die, I, it just wasn't very emotional for me. I didn't feel a lot of sorrow like the same I, I remember reading the the red wedding and game of thrones and it's like literally you just like feel it in your stomach you're like oh my gosh i can't believe this is happening oh my gosh like this is happening just over and over again how could this get worse and um i think like he didn't necessarily make you feel the stakes very much and then when bad things did happen you were just kind of maybe a little bit baffled like, did that actually happen? Or, or they happened off camera, so you didn't even really get to experience that. Yeah. Okay, so we, we've we talked about plot. We've talked about characters. Do you have anything, is anything really added to the setting slash world that he's built? Well, Zavalar was added, but I didn't like it. Okay, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, like, they, they do um, expand a little bit on the Venerates background, like Cassandrid. You, you kind of learn a little bit more about him. Um, you see some more magic. You see Davian storing Khan vessels inside his body, which actually I thought that was done really well. That was something that was hinted at in the second book. And I think we actually said something briefly about it in our second podcast. So I was kind of pleased to see that come to fruition. And, and I thought it was cool that, you know, that was kind of Davian's advantage. And that was the reason why he did a source and that, that whole line of, you know, killing Davian as a child and then being able to morph into him. And then Davian having these extra powers because he didn't have a source. Like I thought that was really well done. Although they didn't, they didn't really answer the question of how exactly Caden could morph into Davian. Well, well, I thought it was implied that because he took his, uh, because he took his source when he was in the womb, that that's how he was able to get that imprint. Oh, yeah, agreed. I, th- I think that's okay. Cool. I admit, I totally missed that. Well, it was never, it was never stated, but they had that they had a discussion early on with, was it with Nathgala that he was talking to where she was kind of teaching him how to make that? Was that when they had that conversation? About um, I know they clarified the fact that you have to have killed someone in order to shapeshift into them. That was probably around the time when Davian was realizing that the person he shapeshifted into in the first book was one of his original tormentors. Another thing that I thought was lame, by the way, like that was a question that all three of us had had been wondering about for the, entirety of the first and second books and then it was just kind of written off in some you know oh it's exactly what you thought it was yeah okay yeah pacing 
I, I think we've already talked about how Zavalar, I think, kind of messed up most of the pacing for me. Because usually I, I've been a big Davian fan and I've really enjoyed his viewpoint. And then that just kind of, I don't know, I did not enjoy the Zavalar parts. I know the first two books, there was so much happening and they were traveling around and there was, and the second book may be a little different, but in the second book you had the, the fast action of all of Caden's memories returning so fast. And I thought it was interspersed with the events of present day really well. But in this book, it was like, yeah, there was no real flow, I felt, throughout the whole thing. I didn't really uh, care about much until the last half or the last quarter of the book. Yeah, fair enough. Steven, pros. Hated the pros. <laughs> Man, the pros. Okay, I have, I have some things to say about the pros. So this has been a weakness for both books, right? But I think we've, I don't know, endured it or just ignored it or just kind of silently laughed about it. But at this point, I cannot let it go unsaid any longer. The prose is not good. It's the show. Okay, the worst thing is the lack of show don't tell writing, right? So there is so many times where he uses adverbs in in really bad ways. So rather than explaining how someone is doing something or like showing the action, he'll just use an adverb to say how someone said something or how they acted. And that's just really like elementary bad writing. It's not engaging to read and it doesn't allow you to really form a picture of what's going on. Um, his word choice is, well, it's good in terms of he has a good lexicon of words to draw upon, but I don't know why he goes back to the same standard set of wordings over and over again. In this book, he loves the word vacillating. If anyone's ever indecisive about something, they are always vacillating. Um, we know that they people like to incline their heads when they respond affirmatively. Although, in fact, in this book, he did cut down on that. So maybe he heard our podcast and, and cut some of that out. And everything went black. Yeah, he loves to end scenes as things go black. Um, Ryan, you've said before that he likes to always put people into companionable silences. Yeah, yeah they, they had a companionable silences. They walked in a companionable way. He also uses present participles way too much, which is like words ending in ing. So sentences will start with like an action word where the sentence structure is just weird to the point where um, it lends to passive voice. And so it's just hard to get into. And I feel like you don't necessarily always notice these things, but I don't know. I've read enough where it just really started to bug me. Okay. So you're not wrong, but it never, it never bugged me that much. And maybe that's because I was listening to it. So I read the first two and listened to the third. And maybe that's why it didn't bug me as much because it was just, I was hearing it right to me. This is a first time author. Like this is his right third book that he's written. Yeah. So after that rants over, I'll say I feel bad about basically everything I said because he's a published author and he's, you know, a, a really good writer, better than anything that I've produced, right? So who am I to criticize? However, as a published author, I feel like maybe the editor is the one to blame because that's what I was he, thinking. Why is the editor not catching more of these things? Because for me, they're fairly obvious. Like I feel like I could edit this book and improve it. Yeah, yeah. and I, I was just gonna say that um, I just I just read the Poppy War, and that was also a first book, but I felt like that was given resources that this book was not given and you know maybe rightfully so because that book was you know was maybe more important culturally than this book has been but i agree that i think that especially because this was picked up by the first one was self-published right 
Uh, it, yeah. wasn't some, it was like a small Australian publisher and then Orbit picked oh. up the second two. Yeah. So uh, come on. I mean, Orbit's a big publisher. So why, why didn't they give this a little bit more resources? It's a big publisher and they made a big social media push when this book came out. It was all over my Twitter, like the book's coming out, the book's coming out. So yeah, you'd think that they would give it a, some, some resources in editing. Editing is not, editing, it's not like, is editing a big resource to give a book? I don't think. Yeah, I don't know. Or, or you know, maybe he didn't have as many rounds of like alpha readers or beta readers. Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. It was kind of confusing because I feel like this almost, uh, maybe it's just we all started being more critical of it because we knew we were doing this, you know, podcast. So maybe we were paying more attention to that than we were with the first two books. But I feel like it was, um, it almost went down. Maybe he spent more time writing and revising the first one and then had to produce these second two more quickly. I spoke pretty glowingly about the second one, I believe. I, I, I really enjoyed the second one. Yeah, I agreed. I liked the second one quite a bit. Yeah, okay. I, that wasn't meant to be a dig on the second one. I'm just trying to think of why the quality, the quality, why our perceptions of the editing and the word choice and the prose all kind of suffered more in this one than the other two. I, I think I, for me, once a book starts to bug me, I get really nitpicky. Yeah. So, and, so even and it even, all starts to fall apart for me in my criticism. Even we, you guys were joking about the inclined inclined their head thing, and then it popped up in the poppy war. And then for a second, I was like, "Wait, that's that's not good." But I think it only happened once, but it still bugged me because you guys are just talking. We're just talking about how much it bugged you. Okay, so let's get to depth. This book series has a lot of depth, or at least it seems like it has a lot of depth. What what happened in this book? With I think I mentioned this in the second book, but this series is kind of interesting where there's so much depth, but but at the same time, it can also be really shallow. And an example of that is like the, the magic system. So there are a lot of rules to the magic system and there's a lot of things that you see happen, but it's also kind of shallow in that you don't see things happen all that much with the magic. Um, I guess another example would be just the timeline and um, and the character depth. So you get a, a sense of this really expansive timeline and, um, and, and the years of things happening with Caden, but it can be really shallow for other characters. Um, I might be rambling here, but I don't know. I'm just a little out of sorts with the depth of. I think I think the the best way to phrase it is like a mile wide, an inch deep kind of thing, where there's a lot. But there's not necessarily you can't you can't dig very far. And I've been reading this series uh, concurrently with Malazan, Book of the Fallen, uh, the the ten book series by Steven Erickson. And it's kind of like that book has infinitely more depth than this. I, I'm constantly just I feel like he's just kind of skimming across the surface. But if I pause at any moment and I try and dig down, I'll just go into a black hole and and i think that it's uh, some people don't necessarily like as much depth and i think that it, i i i really enjoyed the the first books even though there wasn't as much depth it was there was so much happening that i didn't really think that much about it i feel like this book kind of had been relying on on depth to make you super super interested and to bring you in that next level and then this book with not getting the answers that I wanted from them, from it, like with the depth really not coming into play, I guess, like there's nothing resolved or answered because you, because something was pulled from, you know, from the depths of the, of, of the lore. So I feel like if something, some answer, some problem was solved by like, 
oh, this was mentioned back then, then it would have felt like it was more important to have all these timelines and all this kind of added information. Mm, I, yeah, I like that point, Josh. I, we need to re- maybe read more authors, but uh, once again, Sanderson does a really great job of that where he's got a ton of depth, but the depth matters. The things that he spends a lot of time um, with the you know, legendary figures and magic and history, that matters. You know, you're really interested and what happened with when uh, you know when when the shard when the heralds broke the oath pact and when the desolations came and all these things that are in the, the history of the world and you get a sense of but those things are going to matter and yeah they already have started to matter so another thing Ryan when you said it's kind of a mile wide and an inch deep I thought that was a really good uh, description of it you compare it to something like the Lord of the Rings which is kind of the opposite where the page count of that is not that, you know, it's not that long, but everything is so deep and everything matters so much and all the lore, you can just go, you know, miles down. And I feel like this just needed a little bit more um, of a reason for the depth or instead of just expanding it. Like I wanted to hear more about the Venerate. The Venerate were really interesting, but they didn't get a whole lot of time on camera. So, so my biggest complaint with the Wheel of Time series is how the Forsaken are treated and how sometimes they're just like don't really matter or are way weaker than you think that they should be or I don't know. Just the whole force this time for another discussion, but Forsaken kind of bugged me in the Wheel of Time. I feel like this was just done with the Venerate only way, way, way worse than the Forsaken were in the Wheel of Time. Yeah, because at least with the Wheel of Time, you get to see the Forsaken like sitting around their fireplace in their plush armchairs plotting and you know those things are kind of fun and then this one is like oh i'll just kill another veteran with lycanius as i move on down you know and and kaden's like has a tear streaming down his face as he does it but are you ever thinking he's not going to do it yeah didn't it just seem like a checklist like okay check we got this one we got this one we got this one okay we checked them all off yeah a little bit um epicness ryan let's have you start on this one well i think i said it in the beginning where he answered pretty much all of the questions, but none of the answers really gave me the same sense of epicness of the other books. I just, it, it, you never have those feelings of awe as, as the answer just kind of dawns on you and you realize, oh my gosh, it was there in front of me the whole time. That's so crazy. It was... It, it was just kind of like it happened pretty much the way that Caden and the Caden and those other members of the Venerate who, who broke off kind of the way they had planned it. Right. They, they initially thought, well, we're going to take Lycanius and we're going to go kill all of the members of the Venerate and all of the augurs and then kill ourselves. And that's pretty much exactly what happened. I thought they were going to find some other way to do it that that also made sense but the answers the answers that it, it was there the whole time and we knew it was there and we saw it and that's how it was so something that bugged me a lot is that Caden said over and over like oh yeah we have to kill all the augers and that was in the back of my mind always going to be like holy cow are we going to see Caden kind of back in his arcane divad you know where he's going to do something because it has to be done and then no, it was just kind of like all the augers just kind of died naturally. And then when it came to Caden, it was, oh, he's got this little MacGuffin that's going to save him. Yes, there could have been room for some good character uh, character conflict and really test of growth, but it just it wasn't to be. Yeah. So 
series as a whole, I think that this is still a worthwhile read. It's not going to be, I would not recommend it to anyone as their introduction into a high fantasy or epic fantasy. I think that there's a lot of series that you should read before this one. However, I do think that this is a promising start for uh, James. How did you say it, Ryan? What's the final? Islington. For James Islington. I think that this is a promising start. And I think that with um, maybe better editing and, and maybe a little bit more trust and time or more pages i think that he's a an author i'm going to definitely want to keep my eye on and i'm planning on reading what puts out yeah he's already started on his next series and like you said with the better editor and and some more uh books under his belt i i definitely plan on reading more of what he's what he's going to write like brent weeks uh you know the night angel trilogy was not nearly as strong as lightbringer and sanderson's early stuff was not as strong as stormlight so um, yeah, the, this is definitely not a turnoff to the author. And like I said, I am impressed with what he's put out, especially as a first time author. Um, you know, may, I have some aspirational dreams one day to write and I hope to produce something this strong in my first. Yeah, I probably have a bit more of a positive than you guys. I loved the first two books and the third book was all right to me. And so I would definitely recommend this series to everybody with maybe a small caveat that it doesn't have strong of a finish as it started with but it also won't discourage me from continuing to read james eilington future i think he's going to just continue to improve as he goes or to seeing rights so yeah i i think i i came off as a little bit more negative too on the series um in that last comment i i really like the series and for a while i was like dang this is going to be in my top 10 maybe even top five series um and and I think with this third book, it's definitely not going to be top five and I'll have to, you know, maybe sit down and make a list. But I think that, uh, I think I was, I was kind of disappointed by this book in that regard that it kind of pushed it out of being top contenders on that list. But I still think that that is a series I would recommend. If someone's like, oh, what should I read next? And they've already read kind of a lot of the genre. I would definitely. I would probably give the final book, Light of All That Falls, maybe a seven out of 10 six and a half to seven and then i would give the series as a whole an eight to an eight and a half steven light of all the falls six out of ten trilogy seven and a half okay i think i'm right in there with you i think that this book yeah six out of ten eh, maybe five maybe yeah six out of ten and, and series as a whole eight so let's okay. let's end on a positive note josh can we just go through like our favorite scene yeah. from yeah, the book and, and favorite character yeah let's do favorite scene my favorite scene was I think the this the very last scene where we find out Davian's parents and sorry I we didn't talk about this before so I hope I didn't steal any of your guys' favorite scenes but I feel like that was where I felt that everything in Zavalar actually mattered and where I felt like it was an intimate moment that we got to experience with Davian Davian when we didn't really get many of those moments. I think it'd be cool too to go back and read those parts knowing that Rayleth was his father. I think that might be a little stronger. Do you think that Rayleth knew? No. I, I don't know that there's anything to indicate that he did. Yeah, I, I don't know either. But, you know, Rayleth Ray was wise, and I don't know, maybe he had a sense of it. I don't know. So what about your favorite character, Josh? My favorite character, I think I think Caden still in this book. He's been my favorite throughout the series, and, you know, I think this he would stay my favorite in this book. Yeah, I would agree. Caden has the coolest story, I think, just back and forth, back and forth, good and bad but you know he's always trying to do the right thing and i i think my favorite scene 
was at the end of book three when he goes back in time and he sees his wife Eliavia before um, before she is uh, killed and he's able to kind of talk to her and um, you know I can't remember exactly what they say but basically she I think she kind of tells him you know I know you're good and I know you'll do the right thing. I really like that scene because I think it would have been a cop out for him to go back to the wedding and try and change it and then not be able to. Yeah. I think that that would have been a tempting thing to do as an author. And instead of going back and giving him this intimate moment where he kind of comes to grips with himself and his, all of his action. That was nice. Quick question before I say mine. Did we ever find out why Eliavia was killed at the wedding? Like why the priest killed her? I, I don't think we did. If I had to guess, though, I would say that it was Shemeloth exerting some influence because if the priest, like, if you remember when Caden is going to kill the priest, the priest is, he's saying that it wasn't him. It wasn't him. And I think that Shemeloth was exerting some sort of influence and probably did that to set Davian down, or sorry, Caden down a path in which he could hold more influence on him. Yeah. Okay. I'll buy that. I was interested. So <clears throat> yeah, I don't have a, I don't have a different favorite scene. That was also my favorite scene and I can't come up with one, uh, another one right now. So yeah, I, I agree with what you guys said. I thought that scene where he goes back and visits Eliavia was, was really awesome and really kind of tied up his arc really well. Uh, favorite character. Caden uh, was great. Um, let's see. I liked Asha quite a bit. I thought he did, uh, I think did a good, did a good job of writing um, a strong female protagonist and Asha was a cool character. Um, also liked Caroline, totally had a crush on her in the first two books, but uh, I was disappointed that she didn't get any screen time at all and that she was just being controlled the whole time. So that's it for me. Okay. Thank you for tuning into another episode of Phantology. Please tweet at us, maybe your favorite scene and favorite character from this book. Maybe give it a little spoiler warning so that people don't actually stumble upon spoilers as this is still a relatively new book. Thank you for tuning in. Peace. Thanks.